0: I'm Trevenia Barber. Today's leadership quote is an African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. The Leader Assistant Podcast exists to encourage and challenge assistants to become confident, game-changing leader assistants. Hi, it's episode 54. Thank you for listening to the Leader Assistant Podcast.
1: Hi, friends. Thanks for tuning in to episode 54. I'm very excited to share some tips on remote working, uh, virtual assistants from Trevinia Barber. But before we jump in, I wanted to share a word about my sponsor for today's episode, uh, which is Savoia. Savoia provides best-in-class executive black car service, and they're purpose-built to support today's executive assistant. They know that changes to your executive's schedule set off a flurry of activity in your schedule. That's why they've created solutions that keep everyone seamlessly connected from booking to final destination and beyond because ever-changing plans are a big deal. You can go to Savoia.com slash leader assistant or call 866-916-3081 to book some ground transportation for your executive. And just to reiterate uh, especially in these times where um, all coronavirus stuff's going on and people are worried about cleanliness and safety and security, uh, Savoya does a great job getting your executive to and from their destination um, with clean, safe ground transportation. So, again, savoya.com, that's S A V O Y A dot com, slash leader assistant or call 866-916-3081 to learn more. All right, let's jump into this episode. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Leader Assistant Podcast. It's your host, Jeremy Burrows, and today I'm excited to chat with Trevenia Barber. Trevenia, how are you?
0: Hey, I'm doing well, Jeremy. Thanks for having me.
1: So Trevenia, you are the founder of Priority VA. Tell us a little bit about what you do with Priority VA.
0: Yeah. So we help entrepreneurs basically clone themselves, right? We want to help people find their perfect match assistant so that they can grow and scale their businesses with momentum. So we've uh, been in business about almost eight years, got about 83 subcontracted virtual assistants that we place with clients all around the world.
1: Awesome. And what made you kind of decide to start your own business and specifically in the (laughs) VA world?
0: Yeah. So, you know, I actually started this about 16 years ago when I worked in corporate, worked for an anesthesia group and started talking to my bosses about working from home, which they thought was a terrible idea until I got pregnant and I was going to take five months of maternity leave. And then all of a sudden working at home became a viable option. (laughs) And so I started that, did that for many years. When my husband and I adopted our third child, we, uh, we decided I needed to be part-time and all virtual. And so I did that. That worked for many years until they got bought out by a national company. And when they asked me to come back into the office, at that point, I knew, nah, it was my, it was time for me to break out on my own. And so that's how I got connected with another company who actually placed me with some uh, clients. Through that, I started working for a little bit with Michael Hyatt, um, through him met Amy Porterfield, and the rest is kind of history. From there, everyone started kind of knocking down my door, asking for virtual support, and that's when the entrepreneurial light bulb went off. That said, I think I might be able to have a business here.
1: Hmm. So, what was the maybe the moment that you? you you know, you said you thought the light bulb went off where it's like, Oh, I think I might have a business here. What was the moment where you're like, okay, I really do have a business here.
0: You know, so it was really interesting. Back when I worked for the anesthesia group, I would onboard physicians into the medical practice, right. And get them connected with the hospitals and stuff. And I'd come out of an office and the doctor would leave and I'd say, well, that guy's not going to work. And they'd be like, what, what are you talking about? And then sure enough, a few months later, you know, he's like in a, parking garage of a hospital with a needle in his arm, addicted to fentanyl, right? And so everyone would be like, how did you know that? And so really that's what happened was I started using those kind of spidey sense skills when uh, people would ask me, do you know anybody that can support me? And I started just asking them deeper questions about who they wanted on their team, not simply what they wanted done. And that was that light bulb moment of like people are asking the wrong questions. They're trying to just get tasks done, but if they want to build a team that's going to let them go far, they need the right person on their team. And so that was really the moment after I did it about three or four times for free for people. I started thinking, like, what if I charged for this? When I started charging, I it was really low. I charged like forty seven dollars to match people. Now we're in the multiple thousands to do that. But uh, it was a really eye opener for me that you could actually make money doing something you were really good at.
1: Hmm, that's awesome. So let's take a step back a little bit. What was your very first job and what skills did you learn in that job that you still use today as you run your own company?
0: <laughs> My first job was so lame. I, uh, I slung burgers and nachos at Colorado National Speedway. It's like a racetrack. Mm. And uh, yeah, I was like helping sell nachos and make cheeseburgers for people. And what I learned from that is that if you looked people in the eye, they tipped better. And I I just sounded so weird, right? But I would hand someone their burger or hand them their nachos and it'd be like, have a great race, you know, and just really look them in the eye. And they'd always be like, "Nah, keep the change, keep the change. (laughs) And so how does that work for me in my business now? I think the biggest thing is that I still – treat people as people. You know, I think as we've grown our business, it's really easy to put everything on automation and to try and like extract yourself so far from the business that you lose relationship. And it's been um, honestly to my detriment sometimes that I go all in on relationships. I get burned sometimes in doing that. But what I found more than anything is that that looking people in the eye, whether it's virtual or not. Right. But just putting a, a, a real impetus on the relationship has served me so well.
1: So, that's interesting. So, I kind of good transition to a question I wanted to ask you. So, you worked with, you said, Michael Hyatt and Amy Porterfield, who are both um, fairly well-known, especially in some circles um, of business and online world. Um, so, you, I'm guessing, I'm going to assume, um, you, because of their online presence and... Um, you know, kind of your role that you probably didn't get to look a lot of people in the eye. It was a lot of online interactions, correct? Um, so, how did you keep kind of that human uh, relationship element from the online side of things?
0: Yeah, I think it's all in the way that we communicate, and and whether it was in an email or in a, a Loom video. Now, back in the day, I'd be making QuickTime videos because they didn't have Loom yet, but making videos that just answered people's questions that said hey bob i know you'd really like to meet with amy this weekend she's unfortunately you know completely booked up but here's what i can tell you right and then i would give them a little bit of value based on something that they had asked in their question and so what that did was it that, that helped them feel heard cuz that's honestly what anybody wants whether it's a customer service chat that you're reaching out to some bot on facebook or it's an actual email or human to human interaction on Zoom. We just all want to be heard. And so that was the biggest thing I think that anyone can take away in their business, especially when you're saying no. You've got to make sure that you model, that you hear them, that you acknowledge their request, that you help them understand why it can't be met without giving them fluffy excuses of Michael's too busy. Because no, Michael's probably not too busy. He, You're just probably not high enough on the totem pole to actually get a meeting with him. You know what I mean? So we, if we're just honest about it and help them understand how they can still achieve value without that face-to-face interaction with some high-profile client, it helps them feel like they weren't just blown off or ignored. Hmm.
1: So what's maybe a practical um, tip on how to say no in a kind way?
0: I, I think, again, it, there's this model that we, that we look at, uh, and it's called care. Um, if we if you go through each of these steps of the care model and you just um, show concern, you acknowledge you respond quickly right so this isn't leaving someone hanging for for days and days um, and then you just encourage them in that process I think it helps them to again just feel heard uh, I've said no a million times over whether it's being with Amy at a conference and having people come up to her, you know, can you take my book? Can you can you be on my podcast? Whatever. I've had to say no a million times and I think the way that I was able to still say no but be respected in the process was in when I at least showed them that I heard them and I knew that they're desire to meet with her was really important. And that let's see what else I could do to try and, you know, acknowledge them. So it's like, say yes in one way to something that you know you can do while you're saying no to the thing that they really want. It's a tricky process. Are you ready to elevate your career in 2024? I'm Maggie Olson, founder of Nova Chief of Staff Certification the first-of-its-kind online course for aspiring and existing Chiefs of Staff. With curriculum taken directly from on-the-job responsibilities, NOVA's self-paced learning modules provides you with hands-on experience so you can feel competent and confident moving into a Chief of Staff-style role. It's the perfect next step for executive assistants. Head to leaderassistant.com NOVA to learn more, grab the syllabus, and enroll today.
1: So, speaking of being in a conference um, with somebody like Amy, who had you know was probably speaking at that conference or running that conference, what I've I've had a, a lot of assistants reach out, and I've experienced this as well, um, where you can kind of be dehumanizing at times when people keep coming up to you, and um, you know humans keep coming up to you, but they don't want you; they want your executive. So, you know, I kind of did an informal little social media survey and had hundreds of assistants reach out and, you know, post and comment. And a few of the main examples of the way that they felt dehumanizing um, interactions at times were, I'll I'll just share a few of them. So people ask how your executive is doing, but they don't ask about you. People befriend you to get closer to to your executive Uh, so-called friends are nowhere to be found when you switch companies or get a new executive. So is there anything like that that you experienced or um, do you have any tips on uh, maybe a story about something you experienced in that realm and then how you can kind of help others deal with it? For sure,
0: Jeremy. I was at Traffic and Conversion Summit. I remember it was, uh, so I think it was like in Oh gosh, maybe it was like March, right? If I, if I remember correctly. And I had literally stopped working for Amy to go all in on my own business, uh, in February. So it was, I mean, we were just weeks out of this transition and I went to traffic and conversion as a student for my business, right? Amy was there, uh, as a guest, she was coming as a student too. And she had, you know, her, her team around her and, uh, I was at traffic and conversion and all of these people kept coming up to me, Travinia, Travinia, Hey, how are you doing? Where's Amy? And I was like, I don't know where she is, right? And so we had made the announcement that I was leaving and stuff, but yet people were still very much recognizing me And wanting her and I ended up posting on Facebook and Instagram because a lot of Amy's followers would then follow me Mm -hmm. and I I just posted a picture of her and I said I don't know where she is (laughs) I was so irritated and a little wounded honestly because it was it was that exact feeling that people weren't interested in building a relationship with me it was just I was one step closer to Amy but here's what I learned from that there were people that absolutely came up to me and were like I heard that you were leaving, Amy. Like, we're so sorry to see you go. What is coming up next for you? And those few. Now, out of the probably 50 people that came up to me at that event, maybe seven or eight of them said this, okay? But those seven or eight were absolutely Definitely interested in what I was doing. And they were like, how can I help if there's anything I can do? Like they were interested in me. And so that's, I think, the balance there. There are 100% going to be people that they don't give a rip about you. They just, you are one stepping stone away from the executive. That is all that they care about. And you just got to kind of know that some of this is building a little bit of a buffer around kind of your heart a little bit, right? You've got to guard your heart a bit just so that you can not be totally devastated by it. Uh Another thing that I think I've, I've seen happen is that people who were friends with me while I was in that season of my life, they still follow me online and they'll still comment online. It's not as frequent, right? It's like, it's like when you meet someone in high school and you're really great buddies with them. And then after school, you kind of fall away. Similar thing. We just got to like, not take it personally and, and just realize your people are going to stick with you. Whether if they were there for you, they're going to follow you wherever you go.
1: That's great. Great advice. Love it. So, okay, let's chat about virtual slash remote assistance. What are maybe a couple cons to having remote workers that you've seen?
0: I'd say the biggest con is that building a culture takes way more intentionality than it does when you're in an office. Right, So there's these natural ebb and flow moments that come when we're in person with someone. You're working late together, and it's like, hey, do you want to go get a drink after? Right, Like, hey, I'm going to go to Dunkin' Donuts and get some coffee. Do you want to come with me? There are these natural moments, but when you're working remote or distributed, that is much more challenging to do, and so you have to be incredibly intentional about building relationship. And so one of the ways that we do that at Priority VA is when anyone onboards onto our system, we ask them a whole bunch of questions. Simple things like if you found fifteen dollars in your purse uh, or in a you know a jean pocket or something, and you had to spend it on yourself, like what would you buy? And you'll get silly answers like, I might buy a new album on iTunes. I might buy um, a dozen donuts, whatever that thing is. And we try to build in those things of sending random gifts that are $15, $30 or less, right, where we can create culture. We even have silly little things like uh, Zoom rooms where we'll just kind of co-work together. So the con is not being able to have built-in relationship time, but there's definitely a way around it if you're intentional.
1: So should virtual assistants specialize or should they be more of Jack or Jill of all trades?
0: You know, this is such an interesting question. Uh, I have a 16-year-old daughter right now, and she's in this sort of panic time of her life. I was like, I don't know what I want to be, and I don't know what I want to do. And and she's got all of these opportunities around her. She's a great photographer. She loves animals. She's really good at English, whatever. And I look at this sort of how I look at the virtual assistant space. And what I told my daughter, and this is exactly what I tell VAs that are coming to me for mentorship is my daughter's getting ready to do an internship right now at a veterinary clinic. So she can kind of get her hands dirty and see like, is this something I really like? Or do I just like taking pictures of cute puppies? Right. Mm -hmm. Do I like slinging the poo when I've got to clean the kennels and because it's all inclusive. And so I tell VAs the same thing, like try a few different things before you go all in and spend two grand on that program. That's going to teach you how to be a specialist of X, Y, Z dink around a little bit in it and see, not necessarily for other clients, but just on your own time so that you can see like, what do you really enjoy doing? Are you a copywriting VA? Are you kind of, a do you sit more in the stabilizer role of managing calendars and emails and life for people? So I think you've got to play around and then, yeah, definitely go all in on whatever fills you up. Because if you're hiring or if you're working for a job, Simply because you're interested, you're know you affordable to that person, and you're available to start right now, that's very different than going in for a position where you are passionate, where you have a purpose in that company, and you are proficient to do the things that the executive needs. It's just a very different uh, situation, and that lends itself to more long-term collaborative support instead of you just being a cog in a wheel that's like checking a box, because then as soon as they can get someone to check that box for cheaper, they're going to do it.
1: So... Are you just kind of saying that most assistants, most people should try to do a little bit of everything and then kind of let that inform where they should then specialize?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Unless, you know, you've got an amazing skill set from the get go. If you are like tech ninja and, you know, WordPress and, you know, you can code and do CSS and PHP and then, oh, my gosh, go do that if you enjoy it. Right. right? But if you're not sure if you're like, do I want to be setting up events for people or do I want to be managing a whole team of customer service people for a large executive with, you know, 500,000 followers or whatever. Like you've got to kind of figure out what you want to do. And I don't think you get to do that if you just go down one lane and never look over your shoulder. You know, if you're just like driving right ahead, at least that's what I found in my own experience. And with the 83 contractors that we have working for us, we've got some that came to us initially with a very wide skill set. And then through our training and our processes that we put them through, they're like, oh my gosh, this is my lane. Like, this is where I shine. And I want to do nothing but book travel and complex itineraries for executives that do nothing but travel all day. Like, Hmm. they sort of find what fills them up.
1: Awesome. So do you think it's easier to move from a traditional in-office full-time EA job to a VA job or vice versa?
0: Challenges that I've seen moving from a traditional EA role to a virtual role is often the technology, right? We use a lot of different apps and softwares and services. And then I've got people that are coming to me from Oppenheimer Funds. And they're like, I'm only Microsoft Office based. You know, I type 90 words a minute, but I have never used Google Drive in my entire life, right? That's where it becomes a challenge. And I think that you can go virtual into a more corporate office. I think it works. Again, in that case, though, it's almost the reverse, right? Where you don't know all the corporate software and you just, you know how to do all the virtual stuff. So I think, I think it's a balance. I'm looking at hiring somebody right now who's worked for a corporate executive for 12 years and she's like, but I don't know anything about, like we use Dropbox and that's all. That's the only in the cloud, anything they use. So that's going to be a little bit of a mountain for her to, to kind of get up to speed in our world.
1: Hmm. Makes sense. So how do you find clients for your VAs?
0: Yeah, I love that question because most people ask me, how do you find EAs for your clients? <laughs> <laughs> and So, yeah, clients historically for us have always been referral based word of mouth. Now, I have tried Facebook advertising, you guys. I'm, it could be that I'm not good at it uh, and I just don't have a very great methodology for targeting. So that hasn't worked for us historically. So clients come to us typically by word of mouth, or I'm on podcast, or I go and I speak at multiple events during the year. And so that's sort of what gets the lead generation going for us. I do spend a little bit of time on LinkedIn, but not a ton. I should probably up my game there, but I just don't right now. Uh, But I'd say most of our clients come from happy clients who tell people about us.
1: So can you share a couple of tips for VAs who manage multiple clients or multiple executives?
0: Yeah. One of the things that we did initially early on in our business was we required all of our clients to have a five hour per week minimum for us. And I did that very intentionally because I felt like I knew other virtual assistants that sometimes they had 20 clients, right? It was just an hour here, 30 minutes here, very onesie twosie types of things that they'd be responsible for. And I just thought, somebody's going to be the little man on the totem pole, right? Somebody's not going to get the service that they deserve because you're busy and you've got, you know, 18 other requests coming in that day. And so we started with this five hour per week minimum, and I think that helped us. And then we increased it to 10 because what I found even more so is that in our business, we wanted... Our primary goal to be to get clients someone that they could trust, right? It's why we have this ridiculous vetting process that's actually pretty challenging to get through. We wanted VAs to be able to have training so that as a client moved from lead pages to click funnels, their VA wasn't sort of scrambling to try and figure out how to make that transition. So we offered training for them. But then we felt like the, the base of this was we wanted to be able to get our clients traction. Because I could get them at five hours a week, kind of their head above water, right? They could kind of stop drowning from whatever was weighing them down. But they were not able to get traction in most cases with just five hours a week. And so we increased it to 10. And here's what that has done for us. My EAs have two or three clients, right? They don't have to have 20 clients that are all vying for their attention at the same time. So they're able to treat their clients like they are the priority instead of just another person on the list that they need to get to. And so that'd be my biggest tip. If you're going to have clients and you're, you're getting them on your own, or you're working with an agency or, or staffing service like mine, make sure that you have a minimum amount of work that you can do for them. It will kind of ease that. A Dave Ramsey security gland of like how am I going to pay the bills right so it helps with that but it also helps you stay incredibly focused and then I'd say that finally the other tip that I would say is make sure you have a really robust project management software that you use so that you don't drop balls because whether you get a text message or a slack message or whatever it's easy to forget and so you've got to make sure that you've got a place to to brain dump all the things you've got to do
1: what what's one of the project management tools that you recommend
0: I love post-it notes. Um, no, it's been I've been the worst person ever to adopt a project management software. We have tried Trello. We have tried Teamwork. We tried Monday. Like we tried so many things. And what I ended up going back to begrudgingly was Asana. Uh, it just works. And now we have Asana integrate with EverHour, which is a time tracking software. hmm so it's made it very seamless. So you're not having to go to toggle or, you know, slim timer or something and track your time. It's just everything is all built in. So reluctantly, begrudgingly, I use Asana because it works.
1: <laughs> awesome. So when you're an assistant, what was maybe one of the biggest mistakes you made um, in your role of, of as an assistant? And what did you learn?
0: I, I will humbly say that when I started, I really struggled in a remote capacity of owning my my crap, right? Uh, I mean, because I've made mistakes, I've done, I've done things that uh, maybe weren't timely, or I, I was I was too busy and my priorities were a little bit messed up and I struggled I always just wanted to kind of like look good and that was a hard lesson for me now I mean it was you know 16 years ago so I was I was a young baby uh, but I learned that if you own it you can fix it but if you if you kind of try and skirt around things or make yourself kind of look good in the process of of when something's not gone well it, it, I think it just it takes away from that trust factor. And people want to be able to trust you. And so that's, that's just been huge for me as I've grown just as, a, as an adult, as a leader, is just own your stuff quick and, and then bring a solution to the table. And most everything is fixable if you do that.
1: That's great. So can you think of a time and think of a mistake? You know, story. I remember.
0: Yeah, I remember one time, uh, I mean, I owned this one, I was bawling like a baby. But one time I sent an email out uh, via Infusionsoft for Amy. And it was this promotion that we were running, we were super excited about it. And I, you know, double checked it, and I made sure the links were I mean, I was so I always used to get so nervous sending things out of Infusionsoft as broadcasts. And so I sent this email, and then I get a text from Amy. And she said, I just got a reply to one of our emails to my personal address. And I said, that's weird. You know, so I kind of hop in and I start looking around. I sent the email from her private email address in Infusionsoft. And then all of a sudden she was getting hundreds of responses back to this email because they were super excited. Like Amy was talking to her and it wasn't the like info at, you know, Amy Porterfield (laughs) email address. And I was dying. I mean, I couldn't go back on it. I couldn't fix it, you know, and it caused such a mess for us. We had to, you know, change her email address so that, you know, 200,000 people wouldn't have her private email anymore. Oh, it was terrible. Um, but here's what I learned from that actually was all about leadership. I made a mistake. Uh, it was rough and uh, obviously no one died, but it, it was less than ideal. And Amy's leadership through that taught me so much. She's, she didn't freak out. She didn't yell. She was like, Oh crap. You know, I mean, there was a little bit of curse words that happened as a result. Cause it was a pain, but she said, you know what? I've totally done something like that before. Uh, and i pretty much can guarantee you, you will never do that again. And she just was such a gracious leader in that. And it taught me so much about how I show up to my team when they make mistakes, because I I often say now, like there will be spilled milk. Your assistant is going to mess up. They're going to not hit the bar at some point and how you handle it is going to be huge. Mm,
1: Love it. So Talking about the executives a little more, do you have tips for executives who struggle to give up control of their calendar or their inbox or their travel booking, et cetera?
0: Yeah, I I think that it it is absolutely control. And I think that if you want to get where you say you want to go, at some point, you've got to hand over the keys to the car, right? It, and being that helicopter CEO or needing to have your hands in all the things is simply just going to slow you down. And so I like to look at it in this way. We all want to be able to maintain inbox zero. It's like a goal, right? We, we love seeing that, like no new emails, <laughs> like nothing to handle. But what if we looked at it, as if our goal was zero inbox. What if you didn't have an email inbox that was vying for your attention all day long? How much more could you get done, right? How more, how much more present could you be with your children at the soccer game? Like how much more available could you be when your EA actually does need your input on something? And so that's what I like to sort of reframe it for executives. If they have to have control of all of the things, then they're always going to feel connected to their business and tied down by their business. And if you have a good executive assistant, they're going to make sure that you still feel connected, but you will be alleviated of that uh, feeling of feeling tied down by it.
1: Love it. So what, what do you think executives should look for in an assistant? And what do you all look for when you're hiring assistants?
0: This is where we get a little bit bespoke because every executive needs something different. Mm -hmm. In an assistant, there are some executives that absolutely need this like hard driving, charging kind of mama bear, right? There are others that really just need the mom who's going to know where everything is in the kitchen, right? They're going to be here's the file, here's the thing, here's your itinerary. Um, Everyone needs something different. And so I think what I tell executives is if you're going to get the most out of any team member that you're going to hire, you will do that by knowing yourself more than then you know them. And if you are really honest about who you are and how you show up and what you need, instead of sort of having that whole martyrdom, you know, sort of idea that we have in our heads that we can do it all, then I think you'll get exactly what you need. But there's some core things, right? Like we need someone who's responsive. That's got to happen in any executive's life. They've got to have someone that they can trust. I think that they need to have someone who is passionate about what the executive is doing. And then you've got to have someone that finds purpose in what they're doing in your business. And then, of course, they they need to be proficient. But I think it would start first with knowing who the executive is first.
1: Awesome. So what would you tell anyone who's listening, who's a full-time EA, maybe in office, that has these dreams and aspirations of becoming a VA working from a beach or the mountains or, you know, this kind of dream scenario of yeah. wake up in the morning, drink a mimosa, <laughs> you know? <laughs>
0: yeah, I I don't mean to burst your bubble, EAs that want that lifestyle. It's still work. And I think that the, the industry has sort of jaded that a little bit. Now, I have worked from a pool in St. John. I have done that. I have worked from Fiji. I, I've done that too. But it's still work. And you still have to show up exactly as if you were in the office serving an executive who is standing right in front of you. And that I think is the difference in VAs that are doing this as their little side hustle, want to make a couple extra dollars to executive virtual assistants who look at this as a career. It's just a very different outlook. Now, I love that my team can go offline and go to their kindergartner's field trip. Like that is why I wanted to create this space because I felt when I was a young mom that I had to choose, like, am I going to be a great executive assistant or am I going to be a great mom? And yes, you can do both, but it is still work and it still takes a lot of balance and a lot of juggling. And if you treat this as a side hobby that you is just going to make a couple extra dollars so you can go, you know, skiing on the weekend or during the week when it's less busy, it's it's not going to serve you or the executive well in the long haul. Hmm.
1: So what makes an assistant a leader?
0: I think leading from where they are. You know, I think I had a lot of opportunities when I was an executive assistant to lead. To lead customers down a path that we wanted them to take and to lead my executives down the path I wanted them to take because ultimately and I can say this now because I have an EA right like I I stepped out of that virtual assistant role and now I have virtual assistants that serve and work alongside me and I want to be led I want them to tell me what's on my plate for the day and I think that's often something that gets muddy or overlooked or EAs don't sort of take their kind of rightful place as a leader for their executives. And oftentimes I tell my EAs to just have the conversation. And sometimes a lot of the times it requires me to be in on a call with the EA and the the executive and then myself. And I just ask them, I ask the client, like, do you want your EA to show up and run the meeting for you? Or do you want to lead the meeting? You know, do you want them to ask you, Uh, what you want done or do you want them to tell you what you're going to do? And I would say 97% of the time, if not 100%, the executives are are always like, oh no, if I can just show up to the meeting and they'll tell me what I need to do next, like that makes my life so much easier. Mm -hmm. And so you got to step into that role as a leader instead of waiting for it to be handed to you. We have a thing in our business called 25 Little Things and it's just 25 little sayings and one of them is, don't ask for it. Take it. We often wait as EAs to be told what to do. But our leaders are desperate for us to just take things off of their plate. And so that is leadership in a nutshell for me.
1: Love it. Well, Trevinia thank you so much for taking time out of your day to share your tips and wisdom and um, love talking to different sides of the whole assistant world. Um, talk to recruiters. I've talked to assistants. I've talked to folks like you that run a VA firm. Um, so I'm really just excited to have spent some time with you.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
1: And I just wanted to take a couple minutes to let you kind of share what you're up to, uh, where we can find you online. Um, maybe some links, uh, you've got a podcast I hear, uh, just yeah. kind of tell us how we can support what you're doing.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for that opportunity. You can find me online at Trevenia everywhere. Uh, if you are a virtual assistant or want a virtual assistant, you can find me at priorityva.com. For that, my podcast is called Diary of a Doer, and it's really meant for those who are in the trenches of building their business or who have been in the trenches and come out the other side. And I love telling stories on that podcast. I I go into the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of all things business ownership and leadership. We talk about remote distributed support as well there, but I What's next for me? I'm creating an online digital course called The Momentum Method, and it's really based off of a methodology that I have taught my private coaching clients for two and a half years now to get momentum in their business without losing their sanity. So that, I'm excited about that, too.
1: Awesome. And you have a couple of kids, maybe a lot of kids.
0: <laughs> I have a lot of kids. I have four daughters. Yeah. Anywhere from age six to 16. And, uh, that is a treasure in and of itself. It's definitely got me on my toes. I often say I didn't need maternity leave when they were a baby. I need it now that I have three preteenagers and one, <laughs> one full blown teenager. Like I need maternity leave now.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks so much again for taking time every day and, uh, have a great, uh rest of your day with your business, your podcast, and your handful of uh, daughters. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jeremy. Thanks again for listening. And thank you, Trevenia. Uh, check out the show notes at leaderassistant.com slash 54, leaderassistant.com slash 54 for a link to Trevenia's site and LinkedIn and her podcast, uh, as well as a link to our sponsor, Savoya to get some ground transportation booked for your executive. Until next time. Keep leading well.
0: Please review on Apple Podcasts. GoBullers.com.